So this week we are going to finish our series called Vision. Uh, we've been doing our vision series 2017 and and uh, looking at our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, and trying to make sure that we're staying on track. Because when God's people work together, good things happen. When God's people go all kinds of different directions, it, it, it it's different than good things happen. And so we want to be on the same page, go in the same direction, and see what we're trying to get accomplished. And so reach up, rise up, reach out is our vision statement. Reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. We can connect with God. And, you know, in worship and prayer, we confess our sins and he uh, forgives our sins and begins our relationship. And we continue that relationship through prayer and worship and study and service. And, uh, you know, we have that real relationship with God and then rise up a real relationship with the living God will change you. If you have a true relationship with God, you will not be the same after uh, you begin that relationship. And so we want to change. We want to get better at being believers because there's, there's not too many more frustrating lives than the life of the Christian who's just not good at being a Christian. It's a frustrating, difficult thing uh, to see the promises of God, to see the ways of God, and to not be able to put it into practice. It's a frustrating life. So we want to get good at following the Lord because a real relationship with the living God will change you and then reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We're to make a difference in this world. Last week, we talked about reach out. And we read the scripture where Jesus was at church in Nazareth and he opened the scroll in Isaiah and he, he proclaimed that the scripture was fulfilled that says that the good news is preached to the poor, that the captives are set free, that the blind receive sight, that the oppressed are given freedom and that the year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed. And so then I guess there's no more prisoners, there's no more oppressed, there's no more blind, uh, there's no more poor, it's all been taken care of, poverty's been eradicated, it's all done then because that was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Except, of course, there's still poverty in this world, there's still the people who are blind to the realities of God and they they don't see things and there's the prisoners and there's the oppressed. And God's plan was to build a church. Jesus came to build a church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus didn't come to just snap his fingers and have everything work out. He came to begin a movement of people coming together to bring the light of God to the world. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So the church is the thing that can storm the gates of hell. The church is the thing that brings the light of Christ, brings the good news to the poor, releases the prisoners, brings a vision to the people and uh, frees the oppressed. That's the avenue for fulfilling that is the development of the church and God's people coming together. The 2.3 billion Christians on the planet. You know, there's 2.3 billion people who are associated with Christianity. Those are the people who are to bring the light of Christ to the world, to bring uh, that goodness from God. And so we talked about that last week. 
The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. This week, we're going to get into some applied vision. If I can speak quickly enough. Last night, I went till after 8 o'clock, which is a disaster, which would be afternoon for you guys, which we don't want that now, do we? And I was able to shave off about 15 minutes at the 9 o'clock. Let's see if we can't get this done effectively. All right. You're going you're gonna to believe God with me? Because it's not so much how much time passes, it's how much gets heard, right? And boy, I tell you what, two minutes of clarity can do you for a long time. So let's believe God for some good clarity, and uh, uh, let's get into the word and applied vision this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Father, that you don't uh, just send us out to wander around this earth, but you guide us. You guide us by your spirit. You guide us by your word. You've got things for us to do. You've got a plan. Father, we just want to see your plan. We want to live it out. We want to live in the fullness of what you've got for us. So, Father, give us something good this morning that we can each grab hold of and serve you better, walk in your ways better, believe in you better, and just get real with you a little bit more. So, Father, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me talk about, uh, again, applied vision. So we're going to deal with some specifics this morning, and uh, we'll go into some scriptures and talk about things, but we'll also deal with some Good Hope Church-specific things. So our ministry model, I like to call an empowerment model. Basically, what we're trying to do with Good Hope Church, you see in the vision statement, we're trying to help people reach their full potential in Christ. That's the ministry model. Help people reach their full potential in Christ. Reach up, rise up, reach out. And the idea is basically as simple as discipleship. Let's help people be effective disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do is take the people we've got, help them learn and grow and, and serve the Lord effectively, and then that influence will increase. If you've got 30 people coming to church and those 30 people reach their full potential in Christ, guess what? Those 30 people can do a lot and you'll be having 50, 60 people come to church. You get those 60 people reaching their full potential in Christ and all of a sudden there's a whole lot more opportunity. There's more influence. You've got 100 people coming to church. And so it's, and it's not about people sitting in, in a, you know, in a chair, it's about people being activated in their faith and serving the Lord effectively. And that's this empowerment model. Let me just talk about a few other models quickly and how they kind of interact because I haven't seen a church that's completely only one model at the exclusion of these others uh, when we talk about these four models. So you got this empowerment model or discipleship model. You've got uh, a traditional model, which is do stuff that people are comfortable and familiar with. Uh, do we do stuff that people are comfortable and familiar with? Hey, we light candles on Christmas Eve. You know, we do, it, we do that. We do communion. We, we do traditional things. And so that's traditional model. Then there's the attractional model, which is just have the most awesome service you possibly can and everybody will want to come. So that's just, that's the, yeah, come on. So the attractional model. And then you've got relational model. Well, we, we do attractional. I mean, I want church to be worth coming to. But I'm not so much interested in getting a bunch of people come. I'm interested in people reaching their full potential in Christ. So I'll put up with something that maybe is not quite as entertaining if it's going to help you learn and grow. 
You know, I'll put up with a, a admonishing word that's going to make the difference in your heart and say, you know what? Yeah, that's right. That's me. <laughs> I'm going through the motions. I don't really believe it. No wonder nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden you change and now you grow into the next place. That's good. And so I want church to be fun, worthy. I want you all, you know, worked up. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is personal growth. And then there's the relational model. The relational model is, you know, go into the community, meet people, build relationships, establish trust, and then share the gospel with people, and then help them see who your Lord is. And that relational model is is pretty well described in uh in Young Life that's going on here in Cloquet. Young Life is a ministry to high school students, and uh, what they do is they do relational ministry. They go to the school, they meet kids that are never going to come to church, and they build relationships with them, and then tell them about the Lord, invite them to club, invite them to camp, cast away, and it's, it's a very important thing because not everybody's going to come to church, Right? So that's the relational model. That's uh, young life is relational model. So, like River Valley in the cities is the attractional model. Let's have a great service and have people come. They are knocking it out of the park with that. They have over 8,000 people coming to their various campuses. Last year they gave $2.7 million to missions. Not too bad right? <laughs> Attractional model. Done well is amazing stuff. Traditional model and empowerment model. Now, of course, you see all four in Good Hope Church, right? And in um, in Young Life, you've got all four, you know, they do, they do club and they want that to be fun and they want people to learn and grow and, and th- those sorts of things. Uh, River Valley is a tractional model. They do discipleship. You know, they, they build relationships too. You know, they do traditional things. These are all interwoven, but it's a matter of emphasis. And so our emphasis at Good Hope Church is, uh, personal growth as a believer, helping people get to their full, uh, potential in Christ. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse seven. We'll talk a little bit more about this, uh, empowerment model, and we'll get into some other specifics. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, but to each one of us, the grace of God has been given. Let me start that over again. I'm doing terrible with this. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Must have read that in a different version. All right. So, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So what that means is each one of us has the grace of God on us in particular ways, in different ways. We have different abilities, different giftings, uh, different things we're interested in. They, we're all made different and God's power is on us in different ways. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men, spiritual gifts, spiritual abilities. Verse nine, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? It was he, so Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So these are the leaders of the church, the Apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers are the ones who lead and guide the body of Christ. 
And this is often called the fivefold ministry. What is the purpose of the fivefold ministry? We go to verse 12, we see two significant purposes in verse 12. So the fivefold ministry, the evangelists, uh, I'm sorry, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are there to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. First, they prepare God's people for the works of service. One of the dangers that can happen in ministry, this is something that I did wrong uh, years ago when I first started. I grew up in North Dakota, uh, farming families. Uh, both my mom and my dad grew up on the farm, and the whole idea was, you know, be self-sufficient, carry your own weight, you know, get the job done. That was the mentality. You didn't wait for somebody else to get the job done. If the job needed doing, you did it. Well, why would you wait for somebody else? We're not that kind of people. We're self-sufficient. We get it done. So I thought, well, if there's ministry work that needs to be done, I'm just going to do it. And so I went ahead and did it. And I didn't wait for anybody else to help. I didn't. <laughs> I just went, you know, and that was awesome. Except then you can only get so much done by yourself and you get tired. And a person told me, after I'd been in ministry for a while, said, your job isn't to do the work of 10 men. Your job is to put 10 men to work. And so it was like, oh, okay, that's this. That The leaders are there to prepare God's people for works of service, not to do all those works of service and have people watch them do it. It's to prepare God's people to do the work of the ministry, to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to empower people to serve the Lord. So that's the empowerment model, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, strengthened, empowered, grow, built up into what? Verse 13, we see four important things, built up into unity. Until we all reach unity in the faith. So it's the leader's job to promote unity between Christians. I see congregations do unity pretty well. Leaders sometimes have trouble with that. (laughs) Because, you know, because who pays the bills for me? You guys do, right? I mean, I get my salary from whether or not people come to church. And so the leaders, sometimes they've got kind of a conflict of interests, you know, that sort of thing. They want people to come to their church because it helps them, you know, not just, hey, let's do what God has a plan for. But here's the deal. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. So if we just, as a church, do what God calls us to do, then I know God's going to take care of me. It's all going to be all right. So we want to have unity. So we are built up, the body of Christ is built up into unity and built up in the knowledge of the Son of God. So learning and understanding who Jesus is, what he taught, how to follow him, and become mature. The leader's job is to grow up the believers, bring believers to a place of maturity. It's good to be a mature believer. How many people in here are mature? (laughs) I don't know. Hard to be self-proclaimed mature, I suppose. But maturity comes through difficulty. 
It comes through stepping into the world and seeing that your expectations just aren't exactly right and learning and growing and making it through even though. Maturity involves struggle. It involves coming to just realizations that might be harsh, they might be difficult, and you lose that childishness and you start to see things for what they really are. In Christ, those things, what they really are, are beautiful things. But we need to get to that place of maturity. And then attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What if there were 2.3 billion Christians on the planet that attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Wouldn't that be something? There would be an amazing, amazing uh, power of God shown on this planet. And if that 2.3 million believers attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, how much poverty worldwide do you think we'd be dealing with? How much oppression worldwide would we be dealing with? We would be seeing the fulfillment of what Jesus said from Isaiah, uh, that the, uh, the good news would be preached to the poor, the blind would receive sight, the prisoner would be set free, the oppressed would be released. We would be seeing that come to pass as we reach the fullness of Christ. Then verse 14 something that comes from maturity. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So when we are trying to follow the Lord, but we're immature, then we can be blown here and there. Have you ever thought in life you're just, you're just subject to the other forces at play and you don't really have a firm foundation to stand on? Here, Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he's talking about being tossed back and forth by the waves and saying, we don't have to be there. We don't have to be in that place where we're tossed back and forth by the waves. We don't have to be confused and going this way and then going that way and being unsure. We can be standing on a solid rock, a firm foundation. How do we get to that solid rock in that firm foundation? Verse 15, instead, instead of being tossed back and forth, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. That means that you tell the truth to people and you love people. Both are essential. The truth, not in love. You can speak the truth to somebody to hurt them, to cut them. You can, you can speak the truth in wrong ways just to do damage. Might be true. Why are you doing it? Not because you love them, because you're wanting to win an argument and you're wanting to cut them down. You don't get to speak the truth in anger, speak the truth in malice. You have to speak the truth in love. And then when you're speaking in love, you don't get to lie. You still have to tell the truth. Because if you just do love, then nobody's getting any better. Oh, you're just fine just the way you are. Yeah, I don't really like, like when you hear songs on the radio, there could never be a more beautiful you. Yeah, I'm not done yet. I'm going to get better. Don't, don't stop me now. You know, there's more potential. I can get past this. I'm serious. There can be a more beautiful me. I'll get there. You know, like, let's, let's grow and learn and become and get better. Yes, validate. Yes, uh, comfort with an expectation that we can progress and get to the fullness of Christ and grow up into Christ. And it takes speaking the truth in love, which means being able to hear the truth. So there's all that. We all do our part. Was there another verse? Verse 16. 
For him, uh, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, the relationships we have hold us together, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's this idea of the body of Christ with leadership that empowers and each part does its work. Each part fulfills the function, the grace that they've been given to serve the Lord. So we all work together for the kingdom of God, the leaders empower and the believers do. And each part does its work. What if a part doesn't do its work? What if you're serving and the person next to you stops doing what they were doing? Well, now you've got to carry an extra load, right? If I'm carrying firewood in the house and my brother's supposed to be helping me and my brother takes off, I got to carry twice as much firewood. And then that's going to take that much longer. And then I might not be able to get the next thing done I was supposed to do. And it's going to mess things up. Same thing in the body of Christ. If somebody else doesn't do their job, then we've got to carry more. Uh, our primary calling may suffer because we're too busy with other things, and the success of the effort can be diminished. Uh, if you don't do your job, someone else is going to be burdened, but more likely the thing you were supposed to do isn't going to happen in the first place. You know, if you're called to lead a small group and you just don't, is somebody else going to lead it? There will be other small groups, but yours won't happen. You know, there are things we're called to do that only we can do. And so often it just doesn't happen if we don't do it. And then last point here on this is what if you do too much? Each part does its work. What if you do somebody else's work besides yours? Does that sometimes happen? Oh, yeah. There's two really important things that can happen. I described earlier how I just went ahead and did stuff. I did other people's work too. I did mine and other people's. What did that do? Number one. Wore me out. That's not God's abundant life. And more crucially, it takes away the opportunity for other people to serve. If we don't leave a vacuum, if we don't leave an opportunity, there will be people who are ready to go, but they just won't get the the chance and they won't be able to step in because there isn't room. So we need to do our part, not other people's part, but we need to do our part and not miss that. So let's look at some specific ways that we can work together here at Good Hope Church to advance the kingdom of God. How does this take this long? I just don't know how it's possible. Anyway, I've been talking fast, right? Doing pretty good. I'll talk even faster. All right. So let's talk about Morgan Park. We started a campus church, which means it's just another location of Good Hope Church. We've got uh, the Cloquet campus. We've got the Morgan Park campus. It's going on. This is the fourth week. They should be finished by now with their fourth service down there. Very exciting stuff. And uh, they've been averaging about 70. So they had 90, 55, and 66. I don't know what they had this week. It'd be interesting to find out. But I mean, that's fantastic stuff. Things are going well. There's unchurched people coming to church, and there's people inviting friends, and, and uh, it's, it's happening and the idea behind this campus model is, is basically this. When I uh, was a new pastor, I noticed that it's difficult to learn everything at the same time. So, you know, I talked about how I did everything. Well, the first ministry position, essentially, that I had was to plant a new church. I'd never been to a board meeting. I'd never done anything along these lines. And so I planted a church and I had to learn simultaneously 
all about church uh, administration, liability, uh, budgets, you know, board dynamics, policies and procedures. I had to do uh, maintenance and counseling and kids ministry and worship and preach and cast vision and do uh, organizational um, control so that people didn't get off this way and that. I had to learn all that stuff all at the same time while working a full-time job on the side. <sighs> How good is that going to work? You know, that's a tough thing. So what I noticed was it's really hard to go from super awesome volunteer to vocational ministry. There's a big learning curve. There's a big gap between the two. And the support system for people who step into ministry is also, well, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It is very true. You get thrown to the wolves. And I think that's probably where that phrase comes from, from Jesus saying that. And here's the deal. It's tough on people. And it wears them out. So I thought there's got to be a way to create a better support network and a, a better environment for people to be able to grow, to do ministry in our type of area. I mean, it's different to be hired on as the second, uh, you know, your, your pastor number 32 at some big mega church. Well, there's plenty of support network around you. But if you're on your own doing ministry in a smaller community in northern Minnesota, it's just a more difficult thing. And so this campus model was something that uh, we've been endeavoring to see come to pass since the beginning of the church uh, here in 2010 was to develop a network of churches that work together. So, for example, Pastor Corey can go to Morgan Park. He doesn't have to write a constitution and bylaws. He doesn't have to write policies and procedures. He doesn't have to come up with a children's church check-in system. He doesn't have to figure out liability insurance and what company to go with. He doesn't have to do uh, board dynamics and establish a proper board culture because that's taken care of. He doesn't have to produce financial reports or do any of that administrative stuff. It's already taken care of. All that stuff is done here in our central administration, and he can go to his community, and he can pray for people. He can preach the word. He can build relationships. He can do ministry and be free to do that and not have to learn all that other stuff because since we're a network of churches working together that overhead stuff is already done and the desire is i would love to see five or six we'll get to there five or six different campuses working together and being able to reach communities that are small where like if you've got a town of 400 people and you got 50 people coming to church you are knocking it out of the park Amen? Yeah, but you're not going to get paid a full-time wage for that. So you've got to have another job. Well, how do you do that? The problem I see is people have to take vacation time to go to trainings and stuff like that. And so people end up getting isolated. They get off to the side. They get forgotten by the organization. And then they're just isolated and alone because they're too busy working their secular job and trying to keep the ministry going. So if we had a network of five or six different campuses and we had campuses in, in communities that if again, aren't going to support a full-time ministry person, but we could support them bivocationally. Their second job could be with the 
overall organization. So for example, let's say somebody's really good at counseling. They could do the counseling for all the different campuses and they could get half their salary from doing that counseling and half from their church uh, campus, their particular location. Let's say they're really good at building maintenance or really good at some other ministry capacity. Then they could do that thing as their bivocational deal. They wouldn't have to take vacation time to be able to go to uh, trainings and, and support events and that sort of a thing. They'd be able to have their bivocation through the network and be able to minister their community effectively. That's the whole concept behind this campus model. I'm very excited to see it just getting started. And I and please pray that we can develop this more because I got to tell you, the opportunity to do ministry in small communities is great. The resources aren't there. If we can put together a system that will empower people effectively, they can go minister to their communities and God can do great things and we won't be throwing people to the wolves to the same extent. Jamaica. (laughs) Let's talk about Jamaica a little bit. Uh, Good Hope Church is named after Good Hope Assembly of God in Red Ground, Jamaica, a little bitty church out in the middle of the wilderness of Jamaica and a fantastic little church and and, uh, did a missions trip there uh, before we started the church here and so thought, well, let's just name Good Hope, Good Hope after Good Hope Assembly of God in Jamaica and we'll have missions in the DNA of the church in the name of the church. And so we've also established a long-term, short-term missions relationship with Jamaica. So we go there many times, over and over again. You want to know, if you go on a missions trip, you want to know what you'll be doing. The vast majority of the time, you'll be painting something that doesn't need to be painted. (laughs) Or you'll be handing out stuff to people who don't really need what you're handing out. Unless you build trust over time. And then you can start, you know, at to get somewhere and do something that's more effective. In Jamaica, we started with painting things that didn't really need to be painted. It didn't hurt it any, but that was nice. And then we earned trust and we went back and we went back and we went back and we started doing $10,000 service projects that they would get loans for, buy all the materials, and then we would come and pay off the loan. They trusted us that much. They'd stick their neck out with that. Now we are funding an orphanage all out of Good Hope Church through our child sponsorship program and doing economic development on the children's home so that years down the road, it will be fully financially sufficient, self-sufficient without any of our help because they've got 30 acres in a yam producing area. They can develop the farmland and be able to create jobs, create economic development and become fully financially self-sufficient so that they don't need our help at all and they can start sending money to us. (laughs) That's the plan with long-term, short-term missions. We want to continue to develop that. My, my desire is for each campus to have a relationship with a different country. We've got Jamaica. I'd love to see Morgan Park have a specific Morgan Park emphasis and then whatever other place, you know. It's amazing what you can do. And the last thing I want to talk about is what we're going to call Great Commission Offerings. Um, It's kind of a revamping of a missions convention. And this includes uh, local, global, 
and future advancing of the kingdom. So local, I mentioned Young Life earlier. I'll be attending the Young Life Banquet at 5.30 tonight. Uh, big fundraising, fundraising banquet for Young Life. It's a ministry uh, that our church supports and that I believe in. And so that's local missions. We can uh, have offerings for that. Teen Challenge, a Wood City Music Festival. There's local things that are going on that are worth our church supporting, us as individuals supporting. So we got local missions that we can give towards through Great Commission offerings. There's global Assemblies of God world missions. We've got Jamaica. We've got this list. We've got 20 different missions projects, missionaries and projects that we support. And... Uh, um, all the way from the child sponsorship program to the 10% Good Hope tithes, 10% of the general tithes and offerings to missions. So uh, we just, as an organization, do that. Between that and the child sponsorship, that amounts to about $6,000 a month that goes out to outside sources. And uh, last year, we gave more than $80,000 out of Good Hope Church to missionaries and missions projects and different projects. And uh, we're on pace to do that again this year. And so this Great Commission offering would allow people to be able to connect with and give offerings towards specific projects that they feel called to partner with. When uh, the Reverend Michael Grant will be here in November, the first weekend in November, the presiding bishop of the Assemblies of God in Jamaica will be here in Cloquet, and we will be taking an offering for the children's home to be able to buy Christmas presents for the kids at the children's home. So some of the kids have people that care about them and bring them stuff other kids don't. So we'll take an offering for that, make sure they have a good Christmas at New Vision. There's ways we can have a global impact and then future. We want to have an impact in the future. Those are things like the, hey, how we doing? The church plank. Uh-oh. Yeah. I <laughs> that wasn't very subtle at all. <laughs> totally, it was like 15 more minutes last night. Like from now. And I'm almost done. But the future things are things like, you know, we built the building addition. Yay! We owe big piles of money on that. So we've got a a mortgage and a junior mortgage. The junior mortgage is $76,000. If we can kill the junior mortgage, then we can start putting the monthly payments on that against the main mortgage, and we can start making greater progress against that. Those are future things. Church planting, building fund, getting ready. I would would love, you know Brenny Doll's for sale? The Brenny Doll, the block factory right over there? I've always wanted to buy that. I called them, and they want $2.5 million. I said, well, that's a little much, um, but we'll see. This, this property, they, they first they floated $840,000 for this. We ended up getting it for two fifty. So, you know, as time goes on, you never know. We'll see what happens, but we'd need $2 more million to build the building over there anyway, so that's like $4.5 million. That's a chunk, so we'll hold off right now. River Valley, I told you about them. Last year, they gave $2.7 million to missions. Yeah, they also owe $20 million on buildings. So, I mean, these things don't just 
happen without financing and, and without these sorts of things. But if we can just take care of 76000 for our junior mortgage over time, then we can start knocking the big mortgage, get this thing paid off, and then we'll be looking for the next step. But right now, it's about church planting, developing campuses, not about building a bigger building right here. So let me invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here with one more little section of scripture so prayer teams can come on up. We're talking about all these different things that we want to do, and uh, the question is, what do I do? What's my part? If you're thinking to yourself, what do I do? Let me tell you an important lesson I learned from the story of David and Goliath. Remember David and Goliath, you know, a little guy comes and slays the giant and the nation of Israel overcomes the Philistines, and it's this fantastic story. But in the middle of it is a really, 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 I think, powerful and significant piece of information. First Samuel 17, starting in verse 38. So David comes, he's, I'll take on Goliath, and for whatever reason, they're like, okay. The little shepherd boy shows up, he's going to take on Goliath. So Saul, the king, dresses David in his own tunic and puts a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So the king's armor is put on David. The best of the best. And so he's got a bronze helmet and he's got a suit of armor, you know, he's all dressed up. And verse 39 David fastened on his sword over the tunic, so he's got the king's sword. He's all decked out just like you're supposed to. You know, if he was preaching, he'd have the, the, the pleated jeans and the, the fancy shirt with all the stuff on it, and he, he's all set. He got everything he needs. And he tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. How much social pressure do you think there was on David to wear the king's armor? That's what you do when you go to war. And you're getting the best of the best from the king. And David had the courage to say, I just can't wear this. It isn't going to work. So instead, verse 40, He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his his hand, approached the Philistine. No bronze helmet, no sword, no coat of armor. He's got a sling and five smooth stones. Pastor friend of mine said, you know why he had five stones? Because Goliath had four brothers. Five smooth stones and a sling. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't be afraid to be who you are. You've been given grace from God to be you. Don't think you've got to be like somebody else. You've got to do it this way. Well, oh, look at that. They're doing great over there. Let's just mimic them. Oh, that guy's so cool. I want to be like him. No, be like you. Take your stones and your sling and go find Goliath and take him down. But be who you are. God isn't asking you to be someone else. He just wants you to be your best you. And you can get good things done for God's kingdom. Let's pray. Let's believe God to step up and see some good things happen. And then I'll open the front up for personal prayer.
So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give grace to each one of us, that you give us gifts, you give us abilities, you give us skills, you give us things we're interested in, things we notice, things we care about, you put burdens on our heart. Lord, help us to see individually what you've called us to and let us not feel pressure to put on the expectations of others and try to make it work inside of that. But Lord, give us the confidence and the peace in just being us, each one individually, so that we can step forward serving you in the way that you've made us. Lord, give us that confidence and help us, Lord, to walk that out. So Father, give us strength. Let us serve together in power, seeing your kingdom advance. I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Father, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would overflow in our hearts and that your love that we receive, we would share with others so that no one would go unloved in this world. Father, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.